May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So today is the first Sunday in Lent. But as you are all aware, Sundays are technically not part of Lent. If you count it, you'll notice that there are more than 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter morning, and that's because Sundays are not to be included in the time of fasting and self-denial that Lent is. It was a day of reprieve, where even in this time where we reflect upon our sinfulness and lament the death of Jesus, we are to celebrate his resurrection. Luther once wrote that every Sunday is a mini Easter. Unfortunately, as a society, we've drifted further and further away from the church, and the world around the church didn't observe the traditions anymore. And so the only time we can be reminded of this season of repentance and reflection is in church on Sunday mornings. And so here we are, sitting in strange seats and hoping the pastor gets to his point soon so that we can all go home. But first, a little story. One Sunday morning during worship in a full church, the door suddenly swung open and half a dozen armed gunmen burst into the church. The leader shouted out, anyone who's not willing to take a bullet for Jesus, leave now. Suddenly there was a mad panic as the vast majority of those who had been seated in the nave got up and practically trampled each other on the way out to escape. There were only a few souls who remained. The pastor remained at the front of the church. A, a smattering of members remained in the pews and the ever-faithful organist never left her post. Seeing that everyone who was going to flee had fled, the lead gunman removed his mask, turned to the preacher and said, okay, pastor, I got rid of the hypocrites. You can go on with the service now. Before leaving quietly. Now, you might have heard that once before, and I might have been the one to tell you, but it doesn't really matter. What does matter is the response I got to that little story after a service I led when I was serving a vacant congregation while still in seminary. After the service was over and I was shaking hands, one man said to me without preamble or even a hello, I wouldn't have stayed. It's ridiculous to expect that of anyone. And that was all he had to say about that. And he left right afterwards in a slight huff. Well, that is a lot to ask, isn't it? But at least the question and theme of the sermon today, what wouldn't you do for God? This seems like a, a pertinent question in this season of Lent, as many people take this opportunity to give something up that they like or enjoy in order to devote more time to God. It's a form of fasting. Every time they think of that thing that they've given up and long for it and how they enjoy it, they instead pray and spend time in devotion, realizing that they never long for the Word of God that way or prayer that way. Often, much like the, with those pesky New Year's resolutions, we don't make it the full 40 days. But that's not what we're here to talk about today either. Today's question is a bit deeper than that. What wouldn't you do for God? What in your life is more important to you than the one you are worshiping here today as your God and King? Is an hour a day in prayer Meditation and reading the Bible, too much to ask for. Is 20 bucks more a week in the offering plate, too much to ask for? Is giving up something you love, but you know isn't good for you in the first place, either physically or spiritually, too much to ask for? Where is your breaking point? At which point does God's first and greatest commandment, thou shalt have no other gods, take a back seat to your sinful human self-centeredness? Think about this. 
What if God himself appeared to you and asked you to sacrifice your only son to him in order to show how much you care for him and are willing to listen to him? How would you react to that? Well, we heard today's Old Testament lesson that Abraham, what his response was, he went ahead and did it. Well, he actually didn't do it, and he was all prepared to do it, and he would have done it had God not stopped him when he did. Now, you can argue that God would never have asked that, uh, or in the case of Abraham, that Abraham knew that God wouldn't let Isaac stay dead as he had been promised many generations of children through Isaac in the future. But if that's your argument, then what, may I ask, is holding you back? If you trust God's word and promise, then why don't you reflect them in your life? God has promised you that he will take care of you and provide for you with everything you need to support this body and life. He has urged you not to worry about tomorrow, that you what will you wear and what you will eat, and he will provide it for you out of his goodness and mercy. So why do we keep holding back? And why do we always have such ready excuses? There aren't enough hours in the day to do all the things I need to do as it is. When could I possibly fit in an hour of devotion and prayer? I'm sure it looks that way if you keep trying to do everything by yourself. Martin Luther used to spend two hours every morning in prayer and meditation to start out his day. And when someone once asked him if he had too much to do that day, that he couldn't spare two hours at the beginning, what would he do then? And his response was, well, then I would pray for three hours because there's no way I'd be able to do it all on my own. I need to have a car, two trucks, two quads, three skidoos, a camper and a motorboat. Oh, yeah, and the cottage up north. How else am I supposed to unwind after a long day of working without these basic necessities? It really makes me wonder what my grandparents' generation did on vacation and how boring their lives must have been with such little joys in them if we measure our joy by the things that we have today. Whatever happened to the little joys in life? Spending time with family, talking, getting to know their likes and desires. How many meals do we actually spend talking to the people God has placed in our lives to care for nowadays? I wish I could make it to church more often. I really do. But my child has this or that activity that morning, or it's the only time I have off and God called it a day of rest. So I thought staying in bed and getting the sleep I had missed more important. After all, I can watch a video of another service later online, read the Bible and pray to God at other times too. Well, sure, you can do that too, but will you? <laughs> Not usually. Ninety times out, 99 times out of 100, that's just an excuse you tell yourself in order for your guilt at missing God's worship service to be laid to rest. And once 11 o'clock on Saturday rolls around, it's usually, oh, well, it's too late now. And even on those times when you do, is that the same as actually putting time aside and making an effort for God? Giving him your first fruits instead of just you know, your leftovers while sitting around in your pajamas. And all that is just outright ignoring the fact that God told us to gather together and not to neglect doing so. So it's not about if you watched church or not this week. It's about whether you were in God's house this week, receiving his gifts just as he told you to be, if you are able to do so. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. But what we really want is a freezer and pantry full in case, you know, we get snowed in for a month or five. The truth is that we really rely on we. That's the long and the short of it. We don't rely on the one who can actually provide, whether the 
whether that be time, entertainment, fun, or stuff. God helps those who help themselves after all, right? So what's going to happen when all your comforts, all your security, all your stuff is ripped out from under you? What would you cling to then? And that leads me to this little exercise I've had you all participate with me this morning. So I ask you now, how did you feel when I first asked you to move seats? To sit somewhere away. I did ask away from family and friends, but many of you joined together your family anyways, but that's okay. Uh, besides strangers or even alone, did it annoy you that the pastor was telling you what to do? Did you get frustrated because you didn't want to leave your comfort zone, the place you know best and relax in? Or what is more that you were, excuse me, or was it more that you were asked to move out of your spot that got you the most? Now, what have you noticed about the service you might not have noticed before, if anything? Did you see something from a different point of view? Hear the voice of someone different singing over mine? Did you have less distractions tempting you away from listening to God's word? Were you still able to worship God even though you weren't in the place you are most comfortable with? Were you able to focus on God even when you were distracted by other stimuli? Well, I know that this experiment is rather weak compared to what I'm talking about today, even on a small scale. I hope you can see the comparison. I did this in my first parish once, and one of the gentlemen came to me after me and goes, you know what? I never knew Gunther said the Lord's Prayer in German every Sunday. Or someone else told me, I didn't know so-and-so had such a nice voice. They sing so quietly. All too often, our seat in church, the place where we are most comfortable worshiping God, becomes part of our worship experience so much that if we don't, that we don't feel as though we can worship properly unless we're sitting right there in that spot. What happens when that becomes a hindrance to worship? either to yours or to the worship of others. When I was doing my evangelism class, we had to go up to Sudbury for a weekend and spend the time there and did some outreach and stuff. We went door to door and talked to different people. And this one lady was telling us how she doesn't go to church here. Although when she first moved into town, she did go church shopping from church to church, but she had an experience that turned her right off. She went into one church, not ours, into another church, sat down and prayed beforehand. And someone tapped her on the shoulder and said, excuse me, you're sitting in my seat. At which point she said, oh, I'm sorry. And she got up and left and stopped going to church altogether. It might have just been an excuse, sure. But the fact remains, she had been in God's house and she was driven out by someone who didn't want to get outside of their comfort zone. And we laugh, but I've heard that happen three other times throughout my ministry, talking to people in congregations. So it doesn't matter if it's your seat in church, your money, your toys, or whatever the fact is that the things, or whatever, the fact is that the things that you put your trust in apart from God, all these things that you are not willing to give up for him are what you have built your lives on, both your physical and spiritual lives on. These are your foundations. So what happens when someone pulls that rug out from under you? What happens if illness forces you to liquidate all your toys to pay for treatment? Where will you find your joy then? What happens if you don't find work for a while and you lose your job and you have to literally eat through all that you have carefully stockpiled in your pantry? Where will you look for your next meal? What will you do when time truly does run out on you? Where 
will you put your trust when your mortality catches up to you? What happens if you get to church one Sunday and someone else, a stranger, is sitting in your seat? That brings us back to the theme question for today. What wouldn't you do for God? Now, today's readings talk about just this subject. They talk about where your trust needs to be in order to weather any storm. Despite his fear at losing his son and the love he held for that son, Abraham was still willing to trust that God had a plan and would deliver both him and his son. God said he would be blessed with many nations from the offspring of Isaac, and so God would be the one to trust when it came to the very life of his son. Jesus, while on earth, he was God, yes, but man also. And he stayed 40 days and nights in the desert, fasting and praying. And even when he was being tempted by Satan himself, he stood fast. His foundation was built on the Father's promise and could not be shaken. And this is also what James is talking about in our epistle lesson when he writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God promised to those who love him. Not who love themselves. He goes on to warn, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Our desire and our fears are what lead us away from God. Our wants, apart from what God is already giving us, lead us to put our trust not in our rock, but in ourselves and the precautions that we take. We need to remember the truth about what we have. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He does not change. His definition of good and important does not change. His love for us does not change. Only ours does. While Lent has a focus on self-reflection and repentance, we need to remember that this season is not just about what we wouldn't or would do for God, though. Ultimately, as Christians, we need to remember that the real question, what the real question is now and always will be, what did God do for us? His love is so great that it led him to do the very thing he stopped Abraham from doing. He did sacrifice his own son for the ones he loved. He did it for you. He did it because he knew that you were capable of, and more importantly, what you were incapable of. Our God's love for us was so great that he sent his son here to take our place, to trust in his father with all that he was, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, to win back those who had in many ways turned their backs on him, you and me. That is what this Lenten season is actually all about. Remembering that message, that though you do not deserve it, Christ died for you. He died because you would rather go boating or sledding on Sunday morning than go to church, even if a church is only 20 minutes away from where you're camping. He died because you're too busy trusting in your own strength to support yourself and your family. He's blessed you with, then, to rely on him and his strength. 
He died because you are constantly choosing yourself and what you think is enjoyable over him and what he has called you to ignore, shun, and even speak out against. He did everything you wouldn't for God, and he did it out of love for you. And so this Lent, as a way to help you reflect on that question of what wouldn't I do for God, while at the same time remembering what God did for you, I'd like to offer you a challenge. Challenge from the pulpit, if you will. Take a look at where you're sitting. For the rest of the Lenten season, I challenge you to sit right where you're sitting today, or maybe even a different seat each week. And every time you come to worship in this house, do that. My reason for this challenge is, first off, this is a way to observe the Lenten spirit in worship. No distractions from family and friends. Break away. Sit by yourself for a change. See what it looks like. To put aside your own comfort and wants and focus solely on God and what he wants for our lives. A form of spiritual ashes and sackcloth, if you will. Two, this shows us that even when we are in a place that we are not used to, we can still praise and worship God, even if it's just two pews over and three pews back. It may help us a little in the future to remember that when real trials come, when our separation from out of our own comfort zone is more than just a few meters, we can still worship God with confidence in the knowledge that he is with us wherever we may be. And three, because here in church we like the number three, this gives you a chance to see the worship service through the eyes of some of your fellow congregants, to worship alongside other believers, hear other singers, receiving the free gifts of forgiveness from your Savior no matter where in his house you sit. Let us see if we can take this opportunity to put aside one of the things we never thought to do for God and turn it into something that we have done and will do again if the need arises. But knowing that no matter what we do, what he did for us is what truly matters most. Amen. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.